talking about things we can do to strengthen ourselves in God in the year 2018. What are some things we can do and get happening in our world so that we can, if we consistently walk in these things, I can pretty much guarantee that you'll be stronger in God at the end of the year than what you were at the start of the year. We've been looking at some of those things. We've talked about uh, the Word of God, the importance of being in the Word of God, getting some consistency in God's Word. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. If we can get consistency in the Word of God, then that will strengthen us. Uh, By the end of the year, there'll be a lot of the Word of God inside of us, a lot of stuff that the Holy Spirit can draw out at the right time. To, to help us, to correct us, to comfort us, to guide us, to lead us. Second thing we talked about was gathering together, fellowship, being with other believers, encouraging each other, and so on, not forsaking that. This week I want to talk about another thing that I think if we will embrace it, <coughs> that it will help us be stronger by the end of this year in, in our faith and in God than we were at the start. And it's a simple thing and it's got many connotations and thoughts attached to it, but the simplest way I can describe it is discipleship. Pouring ourself into somebody else. When I say discipleship, we probably think of ourselves being in the receptors. And there's a part of life where we are the receptor, but I believe everybody that is receiving discipleship, that is learning to follow Christ, should be discipling somebody else as well. No matter where I am on the journey... There are people that are ahead of me that I'm following that can call me to another place. But I also believe there are people behind me that I can reach down to or reach back to and help them in their walk with God and help them in their journey with him as well. I had an interesting chat with Caleb, my eldest son, this week. He said to me, he started coaching a junior representative touch football team and he played touch all his life. But he's just started coaching. He's dipped his toes into the waters and he's He's, he's uh, 21 years of age and he's coaching a group of under 10s. I don't know if any of you have been involved in under 10 sport. Anybody here coached a group of under 10s? It, to me, it's like gathering a bunch of ants on an anthill and telling them what to do. Good luck. So Caleb's put his hand up and he's coaching this group of under 10s in touch. But he made a comment to me. We had a carnival uh, in Ballina recently. And at the end of the carnival, he came up and we were talking. I was asking him, how's it going And he's got, you know, issues, a few little things happening. But he said this to me. He said, Dad, there's this young boy. And this young boy wants to, wanted to come along and watch me play a game of touch. But on this particular carnival day where Caleb was playing and so were the young kids, uh, the, the timing didn't work and the young kid got to the ground and he waited for two hours for Caleb's game to, to come up. What he didn't realize is Caleb had played his last game. So after two hours, he came up to Caleb and said, when are you playing? I want to watch you. And Caleb said, oh, look, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't have another game. That's, that's it for me for the day. And the little boy said, oh, I really want to watch you play. When can I watch you play? So Caleb said, what about Wednesday night? So I play touch on Wednesday night here. And the parent was there at the time. And he said, look, I play Wednesday night. I don't know if that works with you or if it's okay with mum. This is a young man, a, a single uh, mum's raising him. He doesn't have a father there. And we've talked to Caleb about the, the things that can happen in that environment. So he's very aware and there's nothing untoward happening. Just a young boy going, I need someone. I, I, I look up to you a little bit and I want to follow you. I want to see you. And so Caleb said, oh, what about Wednesday night? What about um, uh, if it's okay with your mum? I, I, I work in Lismore. I come through Austinville where the young boy works. And I can pick you up and I can take you down to Ballon and you can watch and I, I'm happy to drop you back home and it won't be a real late night if it's okay with mum. 
And as he's telling me that story, <laughs> I said to him, you know, that's the amazing thing about coaching. That's what I love. I've coached young kids for a long time. And the thing I love the most about coaching the kids is not that I get to teach them football skills. That's just a part of what you do. That's the vehicle. That's the, that's the doorway that opens them up to come into your world or that allows you to get into their world. But that's not the exciting part. I said, Caleb, what you're seeing here is the exciting part about coaching a young group of kids is when they want to spend time with you outside of that context. And what, what they're really saying is, is they're opening themselves up to you because you've opened yourself up to them. And they're ready for your input. They want input. They want you to, to speak into their world. And that's what happens when you coach kids and you walk with them through the highs and lows of their life is they open themselves up and you begin to take them on a journey. Later on that day, I, me and Jackie went for a walk downtown and this young kid in Ballina came riding past on a push bike as Jackie was going into a shop. And I used to coach him when he was just a little scrawny little kid. Lives out of town, way out of town. Um, don't know his mother, have never seen her. Um, father's a great guy, but he's working a lot of hours and trying to fit his kid in. And quite often I'd have to pick the kid up or drop him off or whatever. And he came riding through town the other day. And I, last time I bumped into him, he got a butcher's apprenticeship. He was working in a butcher's shop. And I asked him, how's it going? He said, no, I've quit that. I said, rightio. I said, tell me, what's going on? And he said, oh, they treated me bad. They this, they that. This the usual, you know, everybody else's fault. I said, right, okay. Well, what are you doing now? He said, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, come on. Have you, have you, have, are you applying for jobs? What are you doing? Have you got your name in some places? Have you got, oh, yeah, yeah, I've actually got a, my name in a place and they called me the other day and they're going to call me back in a couple of days and they said they think they've got a spot for me. I said, well, that's good. I said, I'm glad you're doing that because you know what it's like around here. It's a beautiful place. Look, at, we're outside. I said, look how beautiful it is. Who, wouldn't get, who couldn't get used to just living at the beach and doing nothing with your life? It's a great place. So it's really important. Good on you, mate. You need to get out there. And I'm able to talk to him like that, a little bit rougher perhaps and more direct because he knows I love him. He knows I care for him. He knows I've, I've, I've walked with him since he was a little kid and I've spoken to his world and, 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 and he knows that I'm coming from a good place. You know, when I thought about those two situations, I thought that's the power of discipleship. That's the power of making a decision to pour yourself into somebody else. Pour your life into somebody else, your experiences, what you've learned, your journey. And to pour yourself into somebody else. And I think that each of us... See, Matthew 28, Jesus made this statement. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you. And boys, what have I just commanded you? Make disciples. So in other words, go into the world. Make disciples. But don't just make disciples and it ends. You make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. It's this replicating, duplicating process where Christianity gets passed on from one person to another, where the experiences and the encounters of God that you have, the revelation you get, gets passed on to another person who passes that on, who passes that on, and it continues this chain of faith. And that's the beautiful thing about pouring yourself into somebody else is it's the opportunity to take what God's given to you, blessed you with, done for you, and to pour that into the life of somebody else. How many of you have had moments where God has blessed you? How many of you know God has blessed you with stuff? I'm not just talking material. I'm talking God's blessed you by getting you through difficult times. And you look around the world and you see people, maybe even in your own church, going through similar things. And you're on the other side of that. Maybe when you're going through it, maybe there was somebody a little further down the track to you who took you under their wing and made a choice to pour themselves into you and to help you get through that or overcome that or come out the other end. And now here you are. 
Uh, there was a movie years ago called Pay It Forward, I think it was called. About I don't remember the whole movie, but I do remember something great happened to some, some kid and he started this movement. If something good happens to you, you pay it forward. You pay it forward. You pay it forward. I can think of nothing more powerful to pay forward into the life of somebody else than that which God has given to you, than that which God has done in your life. We pay that forward. In Acts 11.26, uh, sorry, uh, 11, starting in verse 19, I'll read from verse 19 of Acts 11, it says this. It says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. So Stephen gets killed for his faith. And for the first time, the church takes off out of Jerusalem. Remember Jesus said, going to all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts. Up to this point, they were pretty settled in Jerusalem. They weren't really going anywhere. They were quite comfortable. And so Stephen gets martyred. It's a drastic thing that happens. It's a dramatic moment in church history but it serves to further the gospel. Because once that happened, all these people who were comfortable in Jerusalem, when we can't stay here anymore, we could be next. And they finally went out and did what Jesus said. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. And so they scatter. And in verse 20, it says, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists were the Greeks. So we're now taking the gospel away from the Jewish people, and we're now sharing it with Greeks, people that are not of our culture, not of our background. We're taking it outside the boundaries of Judaism. And it says that they went out to these people, in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So they've taken the word of God outside the boundaries of their own culture, and these people have heard the gospel and have responded and gone, yes, we want to give our lives to Jesus. We accept the cross as having happened for us. And for the first time in the New Testament, we see a, a church that's birthed. It's not a Jewish church, it's Greek. This is the first Greek church that we read about in the New Testament. It's a momentous occasion that's summed up in a couple of verses, but a huge moment in the history of Christianity. And it goes on and it says this, when they've had this massive moment happen, this Greek-speaking church planted... It says in verse 22, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. So they hear about this and they decide, Wow, this is, un this is unbelievable, this is great. We need to send somebody there. It's interesting to me that they sent Barnabas, which translated means son of encouragement. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. These people have had an encounter with God, yeah, I mean, let's think about it. You've got Paul. You've got this great theological mind. You could send him. This church has just started. These people have Why don't we send a great theologian to come on in the midst of them and teach them theology? Give them some great information. Connect the Old Testament. Why don't we do that? But they didn't. What about Peter? Peter's a man of experience. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter's there at the top. Why don't they send Peter to go to this church? But they didn't. They said, no, no, we've got to send the son of encouragement to this church. The son of encouragement. And look what the son of encouragement did when he gets to the church. It says in verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. They should continue with the Lord. I did some flooring with Daniel and Ruth. Uh, Jordan came with me. Chloe was there too. A few months back, they were doing some work and we dropped Chloe at youth one Friday night and Daniel and Ruth were doing a house. So me and Jordan said, well, come on down and, and help you for a couple of hours while we're waiting for Chloe to finish youth. So we came on down and I learned some fascinating things. Number one, I'm glad I don't do flooring. I wouldn't have knees anymore. 
I don't know how you do it. On your knees all the time. Uh, mind you, I, I saw Ruth down there and, and Daniel had a coffee and he was telling her what to do. But, um, but there were moments there where Daniel got down as well. Most of the time, I'm joking. <laughs> but what was fascinating was, was I walked in and I saw them laying these tiles. But one particular room had no tiles, but it had all this claggy, gooey stuff. It was like, like 15 babies had sneezed at once. That's what it looked like on the floor. It was terrible. But when I inquired about what that was, it turns out that's the glue that they put on the, on the ground uh, and then it gets a bit tacky in it and then they lay the, the tiles on. So I was asking and we were chatting about it and I said, well, what happens in, 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 in the reason they do the, the, the tiles was because in 10 years' time, if one breaks, you can just rip one tile up and put another one down. So, of course, my question was, well, how do you get it off the glue? I mean, you must, it must rip and tear or something. And then you jackhammer it off, exactly. And then how do you get it back down? But then he'll explain to me that the glue they use is it gets stronger with age. Doesn't dry. So in 10 years' time, you could peel one of those off and relay another one without having to put more glue on. It remains tacky. It's amazing. Well, the word used here where it says that Barnabas went and... To encourage them all that with purpose they should continue with the Lord. That word continue in the Greek means to glue to, to adhere to. He went along and the Bible says that he encouraged them to be glued to the Lord. He encouraged them to be adhered to, to stick to God. To stick to God. To be glued to the Lord. Not to be separated from, not to be pulled away whether it be by pressure or force, but to be stuck to God. Of all the things you could have done when a church is formed in another culture that doesn't have your background, you don't give them information, you don't give them theology, you give them encouragement, and you get alongside of them, and he comes down and he says to them, you people, it's wonderful you've surrendered to Jesus. It's great. Let me encourage you, continue with him. Continue with him. Stay close to him. Like be glued to him, that close that you're glued to him. That you can't just fall away. It's going to take tremendous pressure to try to pull. But you know what? You're glued to him. So you're stuck alongside of him. You see, that to me is a great picture of what discipleship is. That to me is a great picture of what it means to pour yourself into somebody else. We can all sit there and think, but what have I got? What have I got? Who am I? To encourage somebody else. Who am I to pour myself into somebody? I have needs. I have Yes, we do. All of us have got places in our bucket that still need to be filled, but there's still something in our bucket that can fill up somebody else's. And we need to encourage people to stay glued to God. That's discipleship. That's pouring ourselves into others. Pouring our life into somebody else and encouraging them in their walk with God. How many of you know most of you went to work this week and when something difficult happened, your boss didn't say, that's really bad, let's pray. Hey, I remember talking to Ruluf when Ruluf was here and Brunhilde and Ruluf telling me that one of the struggles he had here in Australia was when he was working on the sugarcane farms in, in South Africa, that when there was a problem, he said he'd go into his boss and they would talk and the boss would say, let's pray. Because he had so many Christians uh, around there that it was not uncommon for the workers to pray. What are they doing when they're praying together? They're gluing each other to God. They're encouraging each other to stick to God. You know what, most of us here, we don't go to workplaces where our boss uh, would, 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 would say to us, oh, that's really, really bad. What does the Bible say about that? Let me tell you how the Lord got me through that. 
We, we, we just don't have that, most of us. And if you do, praise God. I hope you feel incredibly blessed and honoured that you've got that kind of a situation going on because that is awesome. But most of us don't. So we need people around us who are going to encourage us and pour themselves into us, give themselves to us, give ourselves to each other. Not just come and hang around and be next to each other, but before each other, be practically encouraging each other, building one another up. You know, when Jesus came, he didn't just give the 12 a book. The Bible says he lived amongst them. He walked amongst them. He modeled something for these people to look at and to see. You know, if I think about my journey with God, you know what the most impacting thing, the thing that has kept me glued to the Lord has not been people, has not, has not, not let me tell you, it hasn't just been this book. That's the truth. It hasn't just been a book that has always kept me glued to God in difficult and hard times. It's been people who have been deliberate about getting alongside of me, a long-haired, no-shoed, no-shirted kid who for all natural intents and purposes seemed to have nothing to offer anybody. But early in my journey, people got alongside of me and they poured themselves into my life. They poured themselves into me. When I look back at my journey, and if I was to stand before God and God said, what's the one thing that's kept you going? I'd say, well, look, I'd love to say it's the Holy Spirit and the encounters I had with you, but I don't want to disappoint heaven, but it's probably indirectly it is that, but not directly that. I'd love to say it's this Bible, I'd love to say it's this book that has, has got me through in the most difficult of times, but, you know, and, and it has in an indirect way, but in a direct way, no, it hasn't been a book. It's been people around me who made a conscious decision that they weren't just going to live for themselves, but they were going to pour themselves into others. They were going to pour themselves into me. And they were going to pour themselves into other people around. See, we live in a really, I think, self-centered society right now. We do. We live in a very insular society. Protect your private time. Protect your private space. It's all about you. Look after yourself. And look, I'm saying, not saying there's no such thing as private time, private space. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying there's a dynamical discipleship that I read about in the book of Acts and in the early church. And I've seen it at work in, 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 in uh, Indian culture and Asian cultures. And I don't see it displayed so well here in the West because we're so protective of our own worlds. And in doing so, we, sometimes we have this attitude that we project to people. It's like, a, you're not welcome. You're not welcome. And when we sort of put that out there, guess what? People keep their distance. They won't push in. And there's a dynamic of discipleship that's missed. See, discipleship is about following people. I think it's 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Paul says this. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. How many of you know you can't imitate somebody if you can't get close enough to see them? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's discipleship. I'm imitating Christ. There are areas in my life where I'm walking good with God, areas in my world that I've overcome. There are areas in my world that are strong in the Lord. I want you to see those. I want to help you make the choices you need to make. And I'm not just going to tell you about it. I'm going to model it for you. I want you to be able to see some of the things that I see. See, in Jesus' time, there were two models of discipleship. 
One was the Greek model. The Greek model was all about information. Socrates, Plato, all these guys. It's information. We'll give you information. Information, information, information. We'll change you. The Hebrew model was different. The Hebrew model was things that, that Jesus, when Jesus would say, I only do the things I see the Father do. What he was doing was, was referring to Hebrew culture, Hebrew discipleship models, which was that somebody did something and you, you walked alongside them and you watched them. In other words, you watched how they lived their life. You watched how they lived their life. You didn't just see them with their hands in the air in a church on Sunday or kneeling in a prayer line or whatever, or playing, but, but we had interaction and modelling and life taking place together outside the context of that particular meeting. Information with application produces transformation. I like that saying. Information with application produces transformation. In other words, I don't want to just tell you this is how you should live your life. I want to show you what it looks like in practicality by watching my life, by opening myself up to you and being able to see this is what a Christian looks like. This is what a a disciple of Jesus looks like in 2018. This is what a Christian marriage looks like. This is what a, a Christian father looks like with all its imperfections and so on. But I've been places, I've gone places, and I've got people around me that haven't been there yet and haven't learnt the things I've learnt, and maybe they're struggling to get through. And giving them a piece of information is not enough. I need to pour my life into those people and go, let me walk with you as you go through this stage of your life, and so on. And each of us have something that we can pour into somebody else. I'll just finish up with this, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I love mornings like this. So I've got, again, I've got three or four pages of notes here that I timed myself so that I could get through it really well. It's great stuff, but God always takes a bit of a turn and you don't get there. And that's okay. I'm, I'm happy with that. I, I like that. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Can we get up on the screen there, Luke? 2 Timothy 2, 2. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and here's what he says. He says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know what? That one passage there for me encapsulates what discipleship is all about. It encapsulates what it's about to pour yourself into somebody else, to make a deliberate choice to not just live for you, but to pour yourself into others. There's a couple of things here that I want to draw to your attention as we close that he mentions. Number one, be deliberate. Timothy was told to do it. Don't wait to see if it happens. Be deliberate. Be deliberate about pouring yourself into other people. You know people around you. And I'm not just talking outside the church here. I'm talking even within the body of Christ. You know people that are going through things that you've been through. You know people that are struggling with things and you know within yourself, with your encounters with God and where you're at, that you feel like, you know what, I think I've got something to offer here to help them. Be deliberate. Make a choice today. You can make a choice this morning when you get up and walk out of this place. I'm going to seek God and I'm going to ask God to show me who's in my world that I can deliberately open myself up to and pour myself into. Who is there that I can pour myself into? You may feel insecure, you may think you've got nothing to offer, but let me tell you something, we've all got something to offer each other. We've all got something to offer each other. Be deliberate. Paul said to him, be deliberate. He told him to do it. He didn't say, why don't you think about doing this? He said, here's what I want you to do. The things you've heard, things you've seen, I want you to do it. You've got to pass this on. See, Christianity is not a sprint race, but a lot of people live it like a sprint. You know, what, you know what happens in a sprint? We run 100 metres, and at the end of it, guess what? I train by myself. It's all about me. If I don't want to train, I don't have to. 
And at the end of the race, guess what? If I win, I get the ribbon. It's all about me. I get the glory. Christianity is a relay. And who knows the most important part of the relay? Passing on the baton. Passing on the baton. It's the most pivotal, important part of the relay. You can have the four fastest men in the world on the same team. If they don't know how to pass the baton on to the next person, they will lose. If they don't know how to hand that over, release at the right time, let that other person grab it and take charge of it. If they don't know how to do that, the relay team will collapse. doesn't matter how fast they are. And you see, we're in a relay. Christianity is a relay. And the things that I've got, I've got the bat in my hand right now, but you know what? There is another generation coming behind me, and I need to learn how to take my part and at the right time be able to release that baton and pass my faith on to that next generation so it's not lost, so we don't drop the ball. There are also people around me that I can be passing stuff on to because I just ran 100 metres and you're now about to run 100. Well, I've already run it, so I've learnt some things and I know some stuff, so I'm going to help you with your 100. So I'm going to pass it on to you. I've been there and I can help you. It's a relay race that we run and we need to be deliberate about that. The second thing that Paul mentions to Timothy, he says, look for the right people. Look for the right people to pour yourself into. What does he say? He uses the word faithful. He says faithful men. That word men in the Greek, by the way, is not gender. It's not men. It's mankind. Faithful men, faithful women. So we're looking for a particular type of person. We all know there are people that you can't do enough for. We all know that there are people out there that don't want to change, don't want to grow, don't want solutions, don't want answers. We know that. What he's saying here is don't invest all your time and energy into that. Don't feel bad about it. If people don't want to be helped, they can't be helped. Bottom line. But he's saying you need to find the right people to pass on. You need to find the right people to give that stuff on to so that it will continue. And who is the right person? The right person is someone who's going to take it, do something with it, and pass it on as well. So that this cycle doesn't get broken, so that this faith continues to be passed down from generation to generation, person to person. This is what Paul's saying to Timothy. Find the right person, a faithful person. A faithful person is this. It's one who shows spiritual consistency over time. So somebody who's serious about their faith. Somebody who shows serious spiritual growth, consistency, doing the right things, doing what they know to do. There's nothing more frustrating than than having people that know what they should do. They don't do it, but they come to you and say, what should I do? It's like you already know what to do. You've got some basics there. Just start doing the stuff you know to do. No, I don't want that. You tell me. Oh, you know what? I don't want to spend my time telling you what to do when I know you won't do it. I'd rather tell this person what to do because I know they'll do it. So he says, look for faithful people. I I examine myself and I go, okay, God, am I a faithful person? I hope I am. If not, Lord, do what you need to in my life so that I can be a faithful person. Because if I'm a faithful person, I'm sure there's people out there that will want to pass on their knowledge, their experience, their wisdom, their breakthroughs and speak into my world, model for me. Number three, you're only expected to give what you have. He says, the things that you've learned, experienced, and so on, pass them on. You can only pass on what you've got. Okay? But there are things that you've got. This is the thing. We underestimate how much we've got. We underestimate what's inside of us. We underestimate the, the power of our experiences, our encounters. We, 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 we underestimate uh, the ability of God to use us to be a blessing to somebody else, to help them take a step on their journey. You're only expected to give what you've got. And finally, the last thing he says there is encourage them to pass it on so that this cycle continues. I was watching a movie the other day, just in closing. 
I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's called All Saints. Um, anyone seen the movie? It's about a church in the States that a pastor gets sent into the church and his job is to close it down. Walk with the 12 parishioners that are left in the church that has a $1.8 million debt. Just walk gently with them through the process of leaving church so that the uh, movement could sell the church, pay off the debt. And, and when he gets there, he goes through the process of, of course, all, most of the congregation are elderly people and they don't like him. You're just here to sell our church. You don't care about the memories. You don't care about we, our kids grew up in this church and all the things that we did and, and the people that were touched and the, the weddings and the funerals. You, you don't care about any of that stuff. You're just here to sell a church. And as the movie goes on, it's a really interesting movie. I would encourage watching it. It's a great film, All Saints. And as the movie goes on, there's a scene right at the end. Cut a long story short, they've got a lot of immigrants in town. And so the immigrants come along and go, why are you selling the church? You've got all this land here. Why don't we start a farm and sell the food? Which they end up doing. And now it's a big mission-based church to this day. The end of the church, they moved the pastor on. They said, basically, you're too immature now to handle this next phase of where the church is going. So we'll move you to another church and he was okay with that but he made this statement he said i thought we were coming here to close a church but we're actually here to build a community see i don't think we're here to build a church jesus that's his job he'll do that but i was so challenged by that statement i sat there thinking about that statement all night god what are we doing you see, information, if, I'm, if we're just about a man up front passing on information, maybe we could build a church, maybe. Well, Jesus builds his church anyway. In reality, we don't. But, you know, I don't, that's not what it's about. It's about us pouring ourselves into each other and building a community. That's what God wants. Arise is not a church, per se. It's a community of people whose hearts are for God. And as our hearts are for God, they will knit together and our hearts will be for each other. And as our hearts are for each other, we will encourage each other to stay glued to God. We will encourage each other to stay the course. And all of us together are going to go through mountaintops and we are going to go through valleys. And if we stick together and we adhere to the Lord and we encourage each other and we open ourselves up to each other and we pour ourselves into each other, and we bear one another's burdens, and we pray for one another, and we love one another, and we do all those one another things that the Bible talks about. As we do that, I believe that God will build the community because God will build his church. People will get saved, and God will go, that's the kind of community I need them in because once they come to faith, they need to grow in discipleship, and that's the kind of community where people grow in discipleship. We grow as we pour ourselves into each other, and I pray and hope this year as part of our personal growth it's part of your personal growth i want to encourage you challenge you ask god who are those people around you that you can pour yourself into deliberately pour yourself into for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of them you may feel like you get nothing out of it you know what? that's okay because it's not about you it's not about me it's about pouring ourselves into others and thinking about what's going to help other people grow in their faith and grow in their relationship with the Lord. We call it discipleship. I today want to call it just pouring yourself into other people. Can we commit to doing that? I pray and hope that we can. Father, I just want to pray for us today, Lord. I thank you, uh, God, for how uh, Lord awesome you are. God, if we could just go around this room 
and write down all the things you've said, all the revelation you've given, all the things you've done, the blessings, the miracles, and so on. God, we probably would not have enough time together for the remainder of our lives to write that book because you are awesome and you have done great things for each of us, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue working in us and through us. God, build us into a community of people that pour ourselves into each other. We're not just here to get. We're here to give. I'm not looking around going, what can you do for me? But I'm here saying, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? How can I encourage you in this moment? How can I help you walk through this situation, that scenario? How can I create an environment that says you're welcome, not private property, stay out? So, Father, I just commit this time to you. I commit this word to you. I pray, Father, you would seal it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray you would stir it inside of us and you would speak to us individually. What do we do to be that kind of a community and that kind of people, Father? And, Lord, as we go from here to the building, I just pray, uh, give us a great time up there, Lord. For the rest of the week, I pray for opportunities in our world to tell somebody. Give us a chance this week to tell one person who doesn't know you about you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless, guys. We'll see you one o'clock. Sausages, sausages at one.